I don't know if you have experienced this. I'm sure you have. But at some point in time, uh, seen people do something or whatever. And you just have to ask the question, what is wrong with these people? And uh, go ahead, Jamie. And I was watching a a show the other day or actually just a clip of it because I couldn't watch it very long. And I'm not even sure the name of it. I think it was called The Kings of Pain. And the idea was, is that these guys would uh, take these painful animals and get bitten by them or stung by them. And so this guy was uh, trying to get stung by this, you know, giant scorpion or this huge, you know, hornet uh, or this snake or whatever. And I'm watching this and I'm just thinking to myself, what is wrong with you? I mean, that's just the, the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I'm sure they're getting paid, but you couldn't pay me enough money to do that. Now, you might pay me the money to get one of you to do it and watch or something. But, you know, and it's just like, are, are, you, are you crazy? What is, what is wrong with you? And maybe it's just watching in our society and the world in which we live. And we wonder to ourselves, what is, what is going on? What is wrong with these people? And we've studied before in the book of Judges, and we're going to the very end. But, you know, the book of Judges is a very low point in the history of the children of Israel, the children of God. It's during that time that they go through this entire cycle where they would be disobedient to God. And so God would bring one of the nations around them to kind of conquer them and subdue them and punish them. And then eventually they would repent and cry out to God for deliverance. And God would raise up a judge, a military leader to to deliver them. And and then things would rock along for a little while. And then the whole cycle would just go around and around and around and around again. And... When we used to do Bible Bowl or Bible Quiz back in the day, we would do, the the section we would do would be Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. That, That would be a particular semester, let's call it. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And whenever we would get to the end of Judges, I would have to send a letter out to the parents and say, parents, we are going to be studying these four chapters, five chapters at the end of Judges. And there is some pretty graphic stories in there. And it might be well for you to read through it and maybe some of it with your children who are, you know, now these were, you know, junior high school kids. But still, it is some graphic, terrible stuff that is going on in Israel at the end of the time of the judges. It reads like the most horrific headlines from our day today. We have a son stealing from his mother. We have a greedy religious leader. We have war over land. We have blatant homosexuality. We have gang rape. We have corpse mutilation. We have a nation at war within itself. We have ethnic cleansing. We have mass kidnappings 
And we have forced marriages. And when you read through this, and we're not going to read through it tonight. And as you read through it, you just kind of ask yourself or ask, what is wrong with these people? What has happened in such a short, a relatively short period of time from the time of Joshua leading the Israelites over the Jordan River, conquering the land, dividing it up and having a time of relative peace and prosperity and worship to God. And all of a sudden we are in a situation and we have a society in which all these different things are going on. Well, the last verse of the book of Judges explains it all. When it says in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did as he saw fit. Two other times in this group of chapters, that same basic phrase is used. What was wrong with these people? How are they gone again from being God's chosen people and led by Joshua to a land that is now a nation in social, moral, and spiritual decline? And we might ask the same question today about our society, about our homes, And maybe even about our churches. And so tonight I wanted to look at some of what was wrong with these people. So that we can make sure that what was wrong with these people doesn't get wrong with us. And the first thing we notice is that there was no God in their society. As we've seen the writer says that there was no king in Israel. Well go ahead Jamie. The truth of the matter is that there was a king in Israel. At least there was supposed to be a king in Israel. Israel was supposed to be a theocracy, meaning led by God. God said, we're not going to have a king. We're not going to have a Pharaoh. We're not going to have a president. We're not going to have a prince. We're not going to have a sultan. We're not going to have any of these things. I am going to lead you. By my laws and by my priests and by the Levites and all those things. But Israel soon turned away from God. And as they turned away from God, they not only turned away from their political leadership, but from their moral leadership as well. And so there was no king in Israel and everybody did as they saw fit. Without God, it left a void, a void which was filled by individual desire and individual determination. Sound familiar? Maybe like the society we live in today. There's no God. There's no right or wrong. Everybody is free to do pretty much whatever they want to, whatever they choose to do. As long, perhaps, as, you know, you don't hurt anybody, you know, then then you can do whatever it is you want to do. Even though, as we talked about this morning, sin always has consequences, whether we want to admit it or not. A very humanistic society was created. A society that, when left to their own vices, gave birth to what we see in these chapters of unspeakable depravity and sin. It reminds me of what... Paul says in Romans chapter 1 about the Gentiles. 
He says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Who is forever praised. Because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way men also abandoned natural relations with women. And were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men. And received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They're disobedient to their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. And as we read that out of Romans chapter 1, where Paul is describing the Gentile world, we can kind of say to ourselves, well, we understand that. They were the people that didn't know God. They weren't God's chosen people. And because they didn't know God, they, they turned away and, and involved themselves in all these, you know, horrific things. But notice how Paul starts that. He said, they should have known about God. And they did know about God at one time. You know, you think about that and you go all the way back to creation. At one point in time, everybody knew about God. And then if you want to go back to after the flood... Everybody knew about God. So somewhere along the way, people rejected God. And we can talk about the, the, the Gentiles or whatever. But when we come to the book of Judges, we're talking about God's people. We're talking about God's chosen nation. Of all the nations in the world, God said, I am going to be your king. These other nations can have pharaohs and emperors and kings and all those kinds of things. But I am going to lead you. And he takes them out of Egypt. He brings them to the promised land that had been promised hundreds and hundreds of years before. And then in just a few short years, they end up with what we have in the last part of the book of Judges. We see the same in our society as well. I think we see a nation... 
becoming more godless before our eyes. And some of us who are of a certain age and older, we might wonder to ourselves, what happened? We can look back 50, 60. I can't, but some of you can. Look back. I can look back 50, uh, but 60, 70 years or whatever. And we can see a marked change in our society. And we can say, what happened? Why has this occurred? And the answer is obvious. Because there is no God in our society anymore. Even though this nation was founded on the principle of religious freedom. Even though it was founded on on essentially biblical morals. We have gotten far afield from that in our society. And the question then becomes, however, what do we do about it? What, What do we do about it? How do we get back to where we were? And I submit to you that it is not through laws and legislation. Although those things can help. But you cannot legislate somebody's heart. You cannot legislate somebody's mind. You can make them do the right thing. But that doesn't change. What's going on within them. You want to know how we really change our society? It's by sharing the gospel with people. We're never going to change our society in mass. That's not going to happen. What is going to change our society is when you and I go out and make Christians and change people's hearts. And then eventually, when enough hearts are changed, then society can be changed. You know, it's not going to be long when there are other countries in the world who are going to send missionaries to America to preach the gospel. Because we're not doing it ourselves. And we need to be reaching out and teaching others. We have to be reaching our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our gospel. It's not about putting God back into our society. It's about putting God into the hearts of people. And that's what happened with Israel. God got out of society because God got out of the hearts of people. And so they turned against God. Not only was there no God in their society, there was also no God in their homes. Go ahead, Amy. We've seen before the breakdown in Israel society began with a breakdown in their family. Look at uh, Joshua chapter 24. If you're following along, just flip over a few pages. The very end of Joshua chapter 24 and verse uh, 31. It says, Israel served the Lord... Throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done. So as long as Joshua and that generation that had come with Joshua over the the Jordan River, 
As long as that generation was still alive and could remember the things that God had done uh, leading them out of Egypt and through the desert and then the miracles at Jericho and all the different places. As long as that generation was still alive, Israel served God. And we ask ourselves maybe the question, well, wait a minute. The writer of Joshua didn't elaborate on that. No, but the writer of Judges did. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Wow. Now let me ask you this. There's a whole generation that has grown up and they don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about what God has done for Israel. Whose fault is it? It's not their fault. Well, it is to some degree. But it's the fault of their parents. It's the fault of the generation before them. Now notice the generation before them, they knew God, they knew what God had done. And for as long as they were around, things were all right. But when they died off, they had not taught their children about what God had done. They had not taught their children about the God of Israel that had led them out of Egypt. Even though all along the way, God had given them things to remind them. The Passover was to remember how God had led them out of Egypt. You remember when they crossed the Jordan River that God said, take 12 stones from the Jordan River and stack them up so that when future generations come along and say, what's that? You can tell them that this is where God led Israel over the Jordan on dry ground. This is where the conquest began and the miracles of Jericho and the other different places. But you know what had happened? A whole generation would come to those stones and say, what's up with that pile of rocks? I don't know. You know what those rocks are for? No, I don't know what those rocks are for. Because they had not been taught. We need to make sure that in our homes that God is there. There is an interesting story in chapter 17 and chapter 18 about a guy by the name of Micah. And uh, Micah, he, he wants to be religious, but he wants to worship God, but he kind of wants to do it on his own terms. And so he has an idol fashioned and, and he even gets a priest to come in and be a priest, you know, to this idol and different things like that in chapter 17. And then in chapter 18, some people come and it says that they took that idol And the other household idols that Micah had. You see, Micah kind of wanted to worship God, but he wanted to worship the other gods too. He wasn't worshiping God as the God. He wasn't worshiping God as, as the one and only God. He was worshiping God as another God. Just like the Philistine God or the Amalekite God or the whatever God. And so it reminds you a little bit, does it not, of Paul when he's on the hill in Athens. 
And he says, you know, I perceive you to be religious people because you have monuments to all your gods. And in fact, you even have a monument to an unknown God. And they had that monument to that unknown God because they didn't want to leave one out. Ooh, that God was going to be very angry. I've told you before, I think that's ridiculous because if you don't know me and don't know my name and and it's just unknown God, I'm going to be just as angry. But that's beside the point. It's kind of the same thing going on here with Micah. Well, we're going to have a little idol up here for God. We're going to have a little idol up here for Baal. We're going to have a little idol up here for Asherah. We're going to have a little idol up here for Molech. We're going to have a little idol up here for, and I can't think of any more of the gods of the people at this moment, but you get the point. And we're going to kind of worship all of them. And this is the kind of religion that was going on in the homes of the Israelites. And we need to make sure as parents, grandparents, whatever stage of life that we are in, that we make sure that God is on the mantle alone. Not along with other gods. That he is first. And that he is the authority for our lives. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. We may not be able to, nor should we, by the way, make our nation a theocracy. That's not God's intent. We ought to make our homes a theocracy. We ought to make our homes where God is God. Not a God, but is God. And then we have to make sure that we teach our children to know God, to love God, and teach them what God has done for us. You see, that's what the Israelites didn't do. They didn't teach their children what God had done for them. We need to teach our children what God has done for us so that we can pass along that faith. The home is the first line of defense. Thirdly, and this is weird, there was no God in their religion. What? No God in their religion? Well, I already told you the little story about Micah, and he makes this idol, and for a little while he has his son be the priest. Now, this is an idol made to God, Jehovah God, okay? But we're going to make my son a priest, And then one day, a Levite happened to be walking through the countryside or whatever and happened upon Micah's house. And Micah said, hey, you're a real priest. How about if I pay you a certain amount of money and you will be our personal family priest? And you can attend to the idol and you can, you know, attend to our worship to the idol. And the Levite said... You're crazy. God hasn't sanctioned any of that. I'm a Levite. I'm a priest to the almighty God. No. If you've read that, the Levite said, sure, for the right amount of money, you know, I'll do that. And so he's sitting around and and he's doing that. Totally void of God and God's law. 
A little later on, we have that awful story about another Levite. I assume it's another Levite. We don't know the same one. And his concubine, his mistress. And all kinds of horrible things happen. And eventually he cuts her up into little pieces. Whoa. Well, that's gross. I could have gone all day and not told that story, right? But it's there. And then we even move over into the time of the kings. And we see how even though there was a framework of religion. God was not included. You remember in the days of Josiah, the king. There was a priesthood. There was a temple. There was all the markings and the trappings of religion. But they found the book of the law. What? How can you have, how can you have church without a Bible? How can you have a priesthood and offer these different sacrifices, things like that? And you don't even have the book of the law. It was, it was found because it had been lost. You know, we could find ourselves in a situation where we could have churches without God. Where we could have religion without God. If we don't follow God's will, if we don't follow God's way, if we try to kind of gloss over and smooth out what God has to say about sin and its consequences like we talked about this morning. If we totally abandon, as we talked about earlier in our study of first, if we totally abandon the idea that doctrine is important, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe, then we run the danger of having religion without God being in it. Our churches must be places where God and his word are respected and honored. Right and wrong cannot be a matter of personal preference or majority rules. Our churches need to be a place where he is exalted, not just in our songs, but in our actions and in our speech and in our deeds as well. We see perhaps many religious leaders and churches that have no respect for God or his word, watering down about the truth that God has presented to us. Yes, believe it or not, we can have a godless religion. And they did in Israel. When we read the last few chapters of the book of Judges, I just come away asking the question, what is wrong with these people? But then when you read and you read the rest of Judges and you read, it becomes quite obvious. God was not in their lives. God was not in their society. God was not in their families. And God was not even in their religion. We want to make sure that in all we do, that not only is God there, but he is preeminent. That he is utmost in our lives. And if that is true for us as individuals, then we will be able to reach out and touch the hearts and souls of the people around us. And begin to change what's going on in our world today. If there's some way that we can help or encourage you this evening, 
We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.